Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Investing with Steve Davenport and Clem Miller. Every two weeks, Steve and Clem bring you brief investment insights you may not find anywhere else. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Here are Steve and Clem. Welcome, everybody, to Skeptic's Guide to Investing. I'm Clem Miller, and I have here Steve Davenport. And today we're going to talk about obesity drugs and how they affect us. Steve and I will dig into the media and market response to these medical developments. Steve? Well, Clem, there's a lot to capture here. And I think it helps at the beginning if we start to define some of the terms. Um, I think a lot of people are questioning what does it mean when they talk about GLP-1. Um, those letters uh, of the acronym are glucagon-like peptide 1. And it's a version of the drugs that these companies have developed for people with diabetes. And glucagon is a signal the body sends to say that it's full or satiated and to kind of say, you don't, we don't need to eat anymore. So when we're hungry and the body needs nutrition or energy, um, we have one system. But glucagon is um, an item in our, in our small intestines and that sends a message in terms of whether we are full and we need to stop eating. Um, there's two main uses for these drugs. I'll call them obesity drugs, but they're really diabetes and obesity medicine. Um, one is really to people who have type 2 diabetes who really need help in terms of how do they manage their sugar. And the other is uh, if, if a person's going to be a potential diabetic and they need medicine to help them try, try to manage their weight. Um, and so when we look at this, there's really three different common ways to think about obesity. There's intervention can be the form of lowering your weight through diet and exercise, through a pharmacological solution, or through surgery. So we're really talking about that middle one, the pharmacological solution. Um, there's two main players. Everybody talks about Novo Nordisk and Lilly from the U.S., um, these two companies control over 80% of the market for these drugs. Right now, it's about $4 billion. They anticipate by 2032 to be upwards of close to $170 billion. That's why there's so much excitement with these drugs. The two main participants, Novo Nordisk has two drugs, one for diabetes and one for obesity. They are Ozempic and Wigovi. So Lilly similarly has two drugs. One is Monjaro, M-O-U-N-G-A-A-R-O, and Zepbound for obesity. So each of those compete in the marketplace, and it's a very complicated um, biological element, but really is about the future and growth and earnings. So it's a very exciting story right now and what's going on in healthcare. 
Yeah, my uh, my reaction is that you know, couldn't they come up with better names for these things? Uh, they're just a little little confusing. Uh, Ozempic, Wegovy, Munjara, and Zepbound. Um, oh, well, I mean, maybe that's what you get into, Quam. You can you can get into the naming. <laughs> so uh, so Steve did all of this. I mean, this is something that you know, at least for uh, Novo Nordisk and Lily and and their stock price uh, surges and so on. This uh, it all seems to have uh, come to market consciousness in 2023. But did it did it really start in 2023, or did it did it originate much earlier? Well, what's really interesting is both of these companies have been uh, involved since the 1920s in the use of insulin to help with diabetes. So these were two of the companies that originally came up with the injectable form of insulin to help people manage their sugar. Um, previously, there was a drug from um, Novo Nordisk that had about a 5% weight reduction result. And at a 5% weight reduction result, putting up with the side effects really wasn't generating a lot of interest. Now, these drugs are showing 15 to 20% weight reduction. They're, they're starting to get real, some real excitement because 15 to 20% of an individual, you know, when you look at how we define um, overweight and obese. I think that people realize, hey, I could go from being one into another category and improve my health outcomes you know, with, with a 15 or 20, but I can't improve it with just a 5% impact. In 2021, the FDA approved this semi-glutide as a solution for obesity. So previously, these had, had, they had been developing these drugs for diabetes. And, and when it got approved in 2021 for the additional um, risk of obesity, that really was an exciting development for the people at Lilly and Novo Nordisk. Um, so I think that when you're thinking about how companies react and how much interest there is, it's about following the money. And when they had you know, the diabetes as one solution that they were building these for, and then you can double that with the uh, obesity that really makes these drugs have a much more compelling case. Um, currently, the cost is about 7000 per year for these. We expect by 2030 that their cost will go down to about $3,000. Um, so right now, they're having trouble producing these in the amounts they need to. Like Viagra, these drugs have a history of, you know, tremendous um, growth and opportunities. Uh, but then they worry about when they go off patent, they're going to kind of go away as um, they're very easy to replicate. Viagra is a very simple compound. Um, these are much more complicated compounds, so that it's going to be much harder to people to profit on the uh, generics because they're going to be much harder to produce. So Steve, um, how do we invest in this space? Do we, do we invest in, uh, in Novo Nordisk and Lilly or, you know, how do we, how do we invest here? Well, here are the main competitors on uh, their main points. Lilly has Zepbound, which has, I'm going to put as number one, but it's really one A and one B between it and Novo Nordisk. They have a slightly higher weight loss and slightly less side effects. Novo Nordisk has more time in the market. 
and is currently the largest company in Europe. So people are pretty excited. Um, one thing to consider, there's about 70% of the population that's considered overweight or obese in the U.S. That number is 50% in Europe. So when I gave you those numbers of 170 billion, that assumed an 11% of the addressable market in the U.S. and 6% in Europe. And when you think about that 170 billion, do we think that 11 and 6 is going to be the ultimate percentage used? I, I think that number could be much higher. So I think that this, the excitement that these have had, I thought originally when I started, before I started researching this topic, that it wasn't um, worth all of the, that this was another AI or SPAC or stock issue, but it really isn't. There is a potential here for a lot of impact. The other companies that are in this space that are doing things that haven't yet kind of developed the size and, and breadth that Novo and Lilly, Pfizer, Pfizer's testing a brand which can be taken in a pill form versus the other two are both injectables. And their studies are going to be finished um, by the end of 2024. Amgen is testing a version of a once a month injection versus a once weekly. And then Roche has recently bought a company called Karma, which has several drugs in trial now. And so they're not developing it on their own. They're buying the technology. But there is a feeling that those Karma drugs could um, be competitive in this place, in this space. So competition is fierce. Everybody's looking for that gold at the end of the rainbow. And these all all these companies have resources and partnerships, and they're going to be competitive. And I think that's good for the consumer. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree. So you think right now these are investable? Yes, I think there is investment opportunities, but I think like everything else, it needs to be analyzed and understood. So Lilly was up 60% in 23 Currently trades as a two-star stock, which is slightly overvalued on Morningstar. It's about 131% of fair value. So its PE is about 50 times earnings. The typical stock I don't think is that high. Novo Nordisk was up 50% in 23. Again, a two-star stock because it's overvalued about 129% of fair value. And it's at 30 times PE. Pfizer is still a three-star stock, and there is uncertainty about how this trial is going to get resolved. And ultimately, you know, you have to take some risk if you want to get returns. So here you're talking about trial risk, um, but you're only paying about 18 times earnings. Amgen is a four-star stock, meaning that it's undervalued. It's about 60% of fair value. And it's trading around 14 times. Roche is a four-star stock, also undervalued, also around the 60 percentage of fair value. And it's about a 12 times. So like most things, Clem, um, it's not that clear and not that easy. But I think there's opportunities if you want to take um, one of those bottom three. And I think there's less uncertainty in terms of the thing that I think is most interesting about this space is it's changed these two companies. And these companies have lots of other drugs, lots of other uh, things in the pipeline. 
But now everybody is talking about Lillian Novo only on obesity and diabetes. We'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying our episodes. If you are, then we'd greatly appreciate your liking, following, and sharing. Help us help others. Now let's get back to the discussion. Yeah, so, um, you know, I like buying uh, individual stocks and I like buying leaders. I've got significant percentages of my own portfolio. Uh, in both Lilly and Novo Nordisk, um, you know, I've avoided uh, Pfizer because, frankly, they they're actually you know retreating uh, in the wake of having had some very good uh, earnings with respect to the COVID drugs. Um, so I like digging indiv- individual names, but you know, price is a consideration, and you mentioned that that Lilly and Novo Nordisk have high prices. Uh, that doesn't particularly bother me. And the reason it doesn't is because I have, I look at PE on an overall portfolio basis. And so I've got much cheaper stocks in my portfolio uh, than Lilly and, uh, and Novo. And, uh, and so I, I, I feel like I can afford to pay for them, especially with their growth, which is reflected in their peg ratios. So Steve, what do you say to that? Um, I think that you are not the typical investor, Clem, and I guess I, I think that, you know, I think of the average person on the street and who might be in a position where they're trying to think about, you know, I, I'm on this, I'm using Wagovi or I'm on this and I'm using Zepbound and I find it's tremendous and they might want to own the stock. I, I think that they need to buy it in the right proportion and they need to think about its, you know, PE in terms of, What's their time frame? If they're thinking they're going to get another 50% this year, I'm not sure that's the case because of all the other things the company has and all the other drugs having less of a multiple than this does right now. But, um, you know, what do you think about them compared to the average healthcare sector? Would you want to buy the spider instead of buying the individual names here? No, not at all. Um, and of course, by spider, you mean the healthcare ETF. No, I, uh, you know, I don't, I don't buy sectors because within a sector, you can have a variety of companies, both bad and good. You know, the spec, the sector ETFs, uh, they're weighed most heavily to those companies that are already big. And that's not necessarily uh, a good thing, you know, is, is, you know, in, in semiconductors, is Intel uh, better than some of the others? No, it, it's not. And, uh, you know, is is Johnson & Johnson, you know, better than some of the others in the healthcare sector? Is United Health, which is also in the healthcare sector, is that better than some of the others? I would say no. Uh, and so I don't invest uh, in, uh, in the sector ETFs because, you know, size is not necessarily the best. And right. that's how these ETFs you can understand why it might be hard for a person to choose, and it might be a, you know, it's it's a solution. I'm not saying it's the optimal solution, but yeah, I can see yeah. where somebody could say, "I can't, I can't tell which blue tide is a better blue tide." So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I 
there, yeah, I mean, it's there's like, a lot it, of knowledge that goes into selecting an individual stock. And I, I just, I wonder sometimes whether health as an industry, you know, just like technology as an industry, you, you know that we're going to have more health issues as we see the aging in America right. and other countries. So well, I, if, uh, if somebody were to say to me, I can only invest in sector ETFs, then definitely health care and technology uh, and communications uh, would be at the top of my list, uh, followed by probably, what about probably industrials. No, I don't think um, I wouldn't. I'm you're concerned. Not, you're not a fan of the carbon? Um, well, no, it's not just that. It's just I like to have sustainable uh, growth in my portfolio. And when you're talking about energy and materials, you're subject to, you know, you're exposed to the vagaries of commodity prices. And I don't want my portfolio exposed to the vagary of commodity prices. I want, you know, I want nice, stable growers, preferably uh, inexpensive. Yeah. So these drugs are also garnering interest because of their effect on other parts of um, the, the body. So. There's been a study that says they, they reduce uh, health, heart health uh, in, incidence by 20%. Um, they also help with addiction because when the signal says you're satiated or you're full or you're satisfied, um, people are finding that they lower the um, urge for cigarettes and alcohol. There's also some studies showing that it helps with Alzheimer's. So I think just like you know, a hair product ended up having some impact on um, blood flow that in Viagra. And I I think there's a lot of things that could come out of this. And it's a very exciting space to think that you could be taking something for obesity and it's also helping with your heart health. Yeah. Not only reducing your weight, but also um, lowering the incidence of an event. So, you know, I like these thoughts about, you know, sort of unexpected benefits, um, which sort of leads to another uh, concept, which is what about other areas? Are there drug solutions in other areas that these are related to? So uh, I, I think that the interesting thing about these drugs is we're starting to be aware self-control may not be the reason for people's health issues, right? There are biological elements of our DNA, which can make the signals in our bodies hurt our best efforts. It has been too long that people believed being overweight was a choice. When in a lot of cases, it's the genes we were born with. We don't have a choice of that. So when I think of medication, I think this could lead to many areas where we nudge people. It doesn't solve the problem of their weight, but it puts them in a position where they have more control and they might perform better in terms of once I get to a certain size and I see I'm at that size and I enjoy being at that size, you know, I, I take up some of the other elements that will make me stay there. So I think it's similar to the idea of a nudge, right? We talked about with 401ks. When we sign people up for them, they don't tend to cancel. Them. Maybe this is, you know, there's a whole bunch of efforts around cigarettes, alcohol, other things that if we can nudge people in the right way, I mean, it could really transform how our you know, Medicare and other national programs uh, affect our health. So So, I think it it really has a huge potential. So I guess what you're saying is that 
is that there could be major benefits in terms of improving behavioral outcomes, basically social outcomes uh, as well, you know, but it's going to require, you know, probably some public policy help as well, um, which leads me to sort of the next logical question is, how does insurance cover all this? Well, that's a great point. Um, I don't think we can really put a value on some of those factors, right? When you look at a person's developing diabetes at 60 or at 70 versus developing it at 40, um, the impact in the community is very hard to, to say. The other thing is that we've got a large percentage of the population you know, not getting health care. So if they're not in the system and yet they're going to be served by the hospitals in the area, you know, how do we how do we get at those people when the expense of this drug is so high? So I think that, you know, it's really going to need us to look at these things and really calculate the results. Um, And there just hasn't been enough analysis done what happens after the drug stops. People then do tend to put it put weight back on, but they don't tend to go 100% back. So it does jumpstart people to a better place, and they keep the weight off. Um, but you know, I think that when you look at the impacts and health in your heart, blood pressure, and cancer incidences, they're all aided by a better body mass index or BMI. So I think that as a country, if we could improve our BMI. You know, I can't imagine how how that would ripple through the the system and impact Medicare and Medicaid. So I think there is excitement and I think it will continue. And the competition is what I think is interesting is that everybody is in trying to make up a solution and whether it's oral or whether it's monthly or whether whatever it is, people are working very hard for solutions that could really impact the health of our whole country. So I'm excited about it. So here's a question from our mailbag, which I think you've already partially answered. Um, well, do, you think, do you think the obesity drug excitement is a fad or is it the future? I believe it is the future. Um, I think that it's a combination of a lot of things, right? We mapped the human genome several years ago, and now we're starting to apply AI and better computing power to this um, human genome problem and looking at the the different areas of our DNA that get impacted, I think that's going to lead to more discoveries and more success for health solutions. And this is not the end, it's the beginning. And in my opinion, um, I see a lot more here than I see in the AI space. Um, Just in terms of real lives impacted right away. Well, you know, something like health uh, requires a lot of data analysis and, uh, and that's what AI is for, right? Data analysis, neural networking, uh, trying to, uh, uh, to analyze big data uh, so that you can draw some conclusions. That's what, uh, that's what it's all about. Um, And so I think there's a, an enormous intersection between you know, between AI and healthcare. Sure. Um, so if I want to summarize, I'd say your health matters for your financial wellness. Both your physical and your mental health 
directly impact how you can earn money, how you feel about money, and how you um, get results going forward. So I would say, you know, first, understand how this might affect your health. Second, look at what your insurance will cover and talk to your doctor about whether this is something that you should think about. Um, I think investments should be for the long term. So on weakness, I would think about some of the leaders, the Lily or the Novo, or own both. Um, and then in a secondary level, I think about whether some of the companies that are in development but are at much better multiples could also you know, transform into um, a good holding for you, like a Roche, like a Pfizer, like an Amgen. Um, do you have anything else to add, Clint? No, I think we've uh, we've covered this uh, in great detail, and uh, I hope we uh, you know we helped everybody uh, understand a bit more about this uh, about these two companies and about the whole weight loss uh, drug industry. Um, I'm sure more to add on. in the future. What is a GLP? <laughs> Uh, let me look back. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, glucotide, uh, something Glucagon like peptide. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really matter what it's called. <laughs> what matters is what it does and that you can make money from it. Correct. But, uh, I think that if you want to be at the cocktail party and sound sophisticated, you could say, I really like the new GLP drugs and people, <laughs> people will think, wow, that Clem, he's, I thought he was an investment guy. He sounds like a bio guy. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. The views shared on this podcast represent the personal investment views of the hosts. They are for educational purposes and not meant to be taken as investment advice. Listeners should consult their own investment, legal, and tax advisors. Past performance of any investments is not a guarantee for future return.